to episode 31 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, author, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back. Uh, the Path Back is an online pornography addiction recovery program. You can find more information about that at pathbackrecovery.com. If you or anybody that you know or happen to be working with is struggling with pornography addiction, please visit pathbackrecovery.com. And there you can download an ebook that talks about five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. A uh, little hesitation there, a little pause. I'm on video again today, still kind of awkward. And uh, especially looking, I, I don't know. I know how to set things up. I've got the microphone. I've got the recorder. Um, I find myself not looking at the camera often. So I'm probably, it uh, looks like I'm kind of looking off to the side, I think. But even more so this morning, I noticed that, uh, noticed the glare on my bald head. Uh, that has point, been pointed out to me. Um, my glasses reflect back. I'm still getting used to wearing glasses. So there's my vulnerability, right? But, uh, but the kids these days are telling me that the video thing is a good thing to do. Um, and, uh, just please always, um, I, I don't want to go on and on about this, but I'm so grateful for the response of the podcast. The last couple episodes with, uh, Julie Christensen, um, psychic and medium, uh, the downloads on that have been incredible. And I have to just tell you, I almost hesitated to tell you, um, I love looking at the stats. And if you, if I, when I look at the stats, um, it blows my mind when you look at, uh, the detailed stats of the, literally the, it, it will kind of get it right down to the city. And how many downloads from each city and country. And I think the last couple episodes, um, you know, it's over 70 countries. It's so funny to kind of look and see, you know, half a dozen people in Sri Lanka that are listening to the virtual couch. Um, but uh, Bangladesh, all throughout uh, Europe, um, Asia, it's kind of fun. But the number one city, fun fact for Julie's episode, um, is Washington, D.C., so I don't know if it's, you know, I put in there the hashtags about aliens or I don't know, UFOs, something like that. So uh, all of a sudden I'm on DC's radar. So uh, uh, who knows, make your own conclusions, right? Um, should be fun, but uh, grateful for the support. And again, in the bad for self-promotion department, uh, you can find me on Instagram, virtual couch, um, on Facebook, my Tony Overbay licensed marriage and family therapist Facebook page, where I've been trying to do a little bit more with that. And, uh, I think that's the places. Yeah. So the videos have been going up on a, I've got a Pathback recovery Vimeo account. Um, but that's linked off of that Facebook page. You can go there as well. And then of course, uh, I'm, I appreciate any of the subscriptions or ratings or reviews of the podcast. Cause that just spreads the word and that, that helps me out and, uh, helps me get more guests. Speaking of that, I have a lot of uh, episodes that, that are already recorded now, which is a lot of fun. going to get some people on, um, a couple more authors that I've recorded. Uh, going to do a little bit more with um, grief and loss and bereavement. Uh, we're going to tackle a very you know difficult topic of suicide um, coming up pretty soon as well. And then I have some really really good episodes with some people that I just uh, love to work with on anxiety and on eating disorders. But today, and I have to tell you this, I almost didn't find time to record this one, and I'm still a little worried it's going to go really long uh, because the topic that I want to talk about today, and you've probably already seen it in the title, but it's narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder. What is narcissism? It is coming up so much. And when I go back to episode four of the virtual couch, where I was just a baby in the podcasting world, I don't even, I can't even imagine going back and listening to that. I feel like I was probably just stumbling all over my words, but uh, author Tina Fuller did the heavy lifting there. She's the author of the book. It's my turn, which is about her growing up with a narcissistic mother. And again, that is one of those where when you kind of look back and I think people are, are looking for resources about what is narcissism and, and are they, um, 
you know, are they in a relationship with a narcissist? Uh, people just start to do a deep dive and are just looking for all the information they can find. And I highly recommend that episode. It's episode four. And Tina has a, it's called Narcissistic Parent Answers, I believe. And that's a Facebook group that is 40, 50,000 strong. And, uh, and there's really good posts every day that kind of tell, talk about what to look for, that sort of thing. But let me, let me do this first. Um, and I'm really, let me, let me go ahead and kind of uh, get the, uh, my good friends, Eli's extracts. I want to talk about them. Um, go to elis-extracts.com. Use the coupon code virtual couch and you get 25% off your entire order. And Eli's extracts is of course, all natural shaving cream. Um, it's all natural. It's organic. It's uh, scented with essential oils and it's just amazing. Used it on the bald head today. As a matter of fact, maybe that's why it's extra shiny. Um, but I love the support there, but I wasn't trying to just blow past them, but I really, I've got a new, um, partner, a new sponsor. And it's, uh, it's this one I am very passionate about. Um, I just completed a 17, 18 week training on betrayal trauma. And that's with a group called Addo Recovery. Addo has a program called Bloom. And it's, uh, you can find more information about this program at bloomforwomen.com. And Bloom is a, it's a program that is specifically geared toward women. Um, and it's women who have been through trauma, who have experienced trauma. And uh, pardon me for kind of looking at my notes, but I love, uh, they kind of put it best, but it says, um, we are at a moment in time when the voice of a woman or of women has more power than ever. Um, our voice has the capacity to expose truth and attest and affirm what is moral and right. We know that that is the climate right now, right? Um, hearing more uh, of a woman's voice about some of the things that they've gone through with regard to sexual trauma, with regard to sexual harassment. And, and I am on board and as passionate as ever, that all was going on in the midst of taking this training on betrayal trauma. I work a lot with uh, sexual addicts, um, pornography addicts, uh, compulsive sexual behavior. And this just, it just opened my eyes even more toward the experience of the traumatized. So someone who has been through what, what we call betrayal trauma. So just voicing the experiences doesn't entirely heal people from trauma um, in the past or even in present circumstances. So the folks at Bloom for Women um, they, they are sharing the bloom for women's a company that offers healing, safe, compassionate, guided healing. Uh, they share some facts that over 41 million women, one out of every four women just in the U S are suffering from sexual trauma, trauma caused from abuse, harassment, infidelity, or a partner, sexual and or pornography addiction. Again, that's kind of the area that I work in and I'm trying to work with the, you know, a lot of times the addict and, and my heart just goes out for, um, the partner, the one who has been traumatized with this betrayal trauma. Uh, and part of what this training that I've been going through talks about is that uh, this particular trauma, this betrayal trauma, literally parallels PTSD. And so for those of you who have been through this, um, that's probably no surprise. So it, it causes things like depression, anxiety, flashbacks, nightmares, distrust, and the trauma places a shadow over mental and physical and emotional health. Um, again, if you have been through this betrayal trauma, then, then I, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so Bloom, that is the, their focus is on this betrayal trauma for women. And they use therapy, healing, wellness to educate and then treat with this trauma. So um, I've partnered with the folks at Bloom for Women. So if you go to bloomforwomen.com, B-L-O-O-M for women.com. And if you do sign up, you'll see on there, they, they offer, I believe it's a free seven-day trial. But when you sign up and use the coupon code virtual couch, you actually get a free month of their services. And it is just, um, it's, it's guided programs. It's, uh, it's, it's, 
it's kind of got everything that will guide you through that healing process. And, uh, and it's going to hit on areas that you may not even be aware were part of the betrayal trauma, where a lot of times you kind of feel like what's wrong with me. And please, um, if you have been, if you kind of, if you've experienced this betrayal trauma, please go check this out. Bloomforwomen.com. Use that coupon code virtual couch, all one word free, a free month on their site, um, being able to check out their services. And, and I'm telling you, it is, uh, um, it, it will feel just liberating. You'll feel like a, a weight is lifted off your chest. You'll feel like you have direction. You'll feel more, you know, kind of, um, like you aren't crazy and, uh, and you can start to work through what, uh, again, the experts at bloom are, are identifying as part of these PTSD like symptoms. So please go to bloomforwomen.com, use that coupon code virtual couch, get the free month of their services. And then I hope that you'll just continue on and use that as a resource moving forward. So thank you. I know that was a little bit longer of a, uh, of an introduction or of, a um, of an ad, uh, but I'm really passionate about that work. Okay, here is the reason why um, I was a little bit worried that would we even get to this uh, today because I have clients coming in in a little while and I just found so much information that I wanted to share and you're watching me in real time look around for my notes. I have notes everywhere. So today's topic, uh, narcissism. Okay, I want to start out and, and I'm kind of zeroing in on uh, we're, we're going to talk about it from a bit of a clinical standpoint and then we're going to talk about it um, more of kind of what... Uh, maybe signs of narcissism, um, things that you can kind of look out for. And uh, first of all, so kind of an overview of narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and I think even when we go there, a lot of times I'll ask a client, you know, hey, are you familiar with what a personality disorder even is? And so maybe we start there. So a personality disorder, there's a word here that I, I hang on to uh, for dear life. It's rigid. And we're going to go back to that word a lot. But rigid and unhealthy pattern of thinking, functioning, behaving. Um, or trouble perceiving and relating to uh, situations and people. So kind of say that again, rigid and unhealthy pattern of thinking. Rigid, I mean, that, that's going to become um, pretty key here. But rigid pattern of thinking, functioning, behaving, and trouble perceiving and relating to situations and people. Um, I also like to add in there, um, people with uh, narcissism lack self-awareness, or actually even back to personality disorders. I believe a lot of the the personality disorder, what what I'm looking for as a therapist are are people self-aware um do they are they even aware that there is a problem a lot of the times as a couples therapist uh when i see someone with a personality disorder it's not that they have necessarily come in for treatment but uh almost as a last resort their their partner has gotten them to come to therapy because they're fairly convinced that uh, there's really neither nothing wrong or the problem lies with the partner there's not this just natural empathy and, and kind of owning the problem of you're right there's something wrong we need to work on this it's fine, I'll go to therapy. You know, if, if that's what you want, I'll go to therapy, but it's not going to be um, good. It's not going to help. And, uh, and so a lot of times that's when I get to see someone with a personality disorder. And, and so now moving forward in this podcast, that's when I get to see someone who um, exhibits these uh, symptoms or signs of narcissism. Uh, and I want you to know too, I'm going to be really careful because, um, you know, I, I carry a pretty heavy caseload. I think I've admitted here on the podcast that I see about 20 couples a week. And then I do a lot with, again, um, um, pornography addiction, compulsive sexual behavior, and, uh, and then just help a lot of people with uh, good, good old anxiety, depression, those sort of things. Um, but I feel like that there are a fair amount of with the couples I work with, where there is one of the partners that is worried or concerned that their partner might be a narcissist or might have a personality disorder. So I don't want you to think that I'm going to try to um, dig, dig up any, uh, examples of things that are going on in therapy right now, because that wouldn't, that wouldn't be ethical, would it? Um, so let me kind of go over, this is from the Mayo clinic it says narcissistic personality disorder. One of the several types of personality disorders 
is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, a lack of empathy for others, but behind the mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. A narcissistic personality disorder causes problems in many areas of life, such as relationships, work, school, financial affairs. People with narcissistic personality disorder may be generally unhappy and disappointed when they're not given the special favors or admiration they believe they deserve. They may find their relationships unfulfilling and others may not enjoy being around them. And I think that that at times can be an understatement. Uh, treatment for narcissistic personality disorder centers around talk therapy. And we'll, we'll get more into that, I think, as the podcast goes along. Um, if you go back to that uh, episode four of the virtual couch where I talk with author Tina Fuller of It's My Turn, um, I think that that's the first point where I kind of refer to a narcissist as a unicorn in therapy. Again, a narcissist isn't going to come in and say, I think I'm a narcissist. And I think that's one of the things uh, I actually put on here is one of the first things. Let's, let's um, harken back to the, so my story of my one hour shopping pass at Disneyland where you need to get the fudge first. Um, you know, eat the dessert first. Let's kind of go right there. If you're listening to this, I feel like I'm about to do a Jeff Foxworthy bit of, you know, you might be a redneck. I'm not doing that, but I'm, I'm going to say, if you're listening to this uh, podcast and you're scratching your head and you're, and you found this because you're like, man, am I a narcissist? You are not a narcissist. Um, uh, one of the, one of the big traits there is that uh, people that have narcissistic personality disorder, again, it's this, here we go, rigid, an unhealthy pattern of thinking. Rigid meaning that it's, no, 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 they are right. They are correct. This is why it's the unicorn. The narcissist doesn't schedule up an appointment and say, uh, hey, I want to come in and kind of explore my narcissism. Now, have I ever worked with a narcissist where we have brought some of that self-awareness to the table? Yes. Um, just, you know, it's, it's fairly rare. I, I mean, I, I'm encouraging authenticity and vulnerability in my practice. And so me being authentic and honest um, it's pretty rare. When it works, it is amazing and beautiful. And I think of uh, three people come to mind right now where, you know, um, they, they're, they're all, I feel like it gets to this point where you build some, a little bit of rapport with the narcissist and where then it, it's never this like, you know what, Tony, I've been reading and I think I am a narcissist. You know, typically it's kind of like, fine, let's just say for the sake of an argument that I'm a narcissist, whatever, right? What would I do? And then at that point, you know, now you can kind of do some work. So, um, and I will, this is years and years ago. Um, one of the first people that I ever worked with that kind of brought that to the table, that saying, fine, whatever, you know, this is what I'm hearing. Um, if this is true, I, I actually do want to save my relationship. So what do I do? And, uh, and then we would actually kind of process events. We would look at what his reaction was or in, inside. And then he had to kind of trust, uh, and I'm not trying to claim that I know everything, but he would be like, he would say, what's a normal reaction? And one of these had to do with um, his, his wife uh, worked around a lot of children for her job. And she would come home and really bring a lot of that, you know, concern or worry or sadness to the table. And when she wanted to talk to him about it, uh, he would just like, I, I don't know what, I don't know why you're getting so upset. They're not your kids. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you, that's your work. You leave that alone. There was no empathy there, right? Because he had his rigid pattern of thinking which was, you know, you detach, um, this doesn't affect me, I don't need to worry about this. So it was kind of funny. I mean, this is a very, this is a very successful person. And he said, you know, what do you do in that situation? And, and I, and, you know, and I almost felt kind of silly saying, uh, you know, you, you like hold her, hug, uh, hug her, um, let her talk it through, you know, man, that, empathy. Uh, hey, tell me more about that. I, that that's got to be hard. You know, what do you do with that? I mean, th those kind of things. And I remember even that he literally had an eye roll and I was able to say, all right, I'm seeing the eye roll. I don't think you're buying what I'm selling. 
but then we ended up having just a fantastic relationship. And uh, I still am in contact with this person on occasion. And, uh, and, and I think he's in a, in a good place. And, and my other examples that come to mind are similar to that. And I have to tell you, if you're a Seinfeld fan, there's a, uh, there's an episode where, and I don't, I need to go back and watch it at some point. It's been, yeah, you know, 10, 15 years since I saw it, but where the character George Costanza in essence just says, okay, I'm going to do the opposite of everything that I, that I want to do, uh, that I normally want to do. And I think there was a line there at some point when he's, uh, meeting a woman and he lets her know that he's, uh, I think he says he's, uh, I don't know, short and overweight, bald, unemployed and lives with his mother. And, uh, and the woman's like, Hey, sounds pretty good. Right. And, and then he, and then that led him to, you know, he got a better job and these sort of things. And so I, I literally had one client where, um, that was kind of the approach we took and he was so, you know, fun to work with where he, you know, he just said, okay, you're not going to do the opposite of everything that I want to do. Because what's funny is that opposite is oftentimes empathy, because if there's this rigid thinking that this person thinks that they know what life is all about and everyone else is just wrong, and they maintain that as long as they hold tight to their, you know, rigid pattern of thinking that other people will eventually get to understand, uh, the opposite of that is, okay, let's just say for the sake of argument, maybe I'm not right about everything. I guess I will listen to this person and try to validate their experience. Okay. So I'm kind of, I, here I said, Hey, we'll get to that later. And we just got to it. Right. So, um, let me go over a little bit of the signs and symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder and the severity of these vary. Um, you know, it is, I, I do view this as a little bit on a spectrum. You can have people that have narcissistic personality disorder traits or tendencies. And then there are people where maybe perhaps it's just full blown narcissistic personality disorder. So some of these have an exaggerated sense of uh, self-importance. You know, I always say that, uh, they're pretty sure that they are a really big deal. They have a sense of entitlement and require constant excessive admiration. And, and again, I want to, I want you to know that the, the danger of even doing a podcast like this is like some people are going to go, uh, you know, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of a big deal or, or I do require some admiration. I must be a narcissist. Remember when that I must be a narcissist comes in, that's the check where you're like, whoo, not a narcissist, right? We're all going to have some of these things, but again, this rigid, unhealthy pattern of thinking and functioning that will not waver or, or be willing to own any of our own stuff or be willing to look at things from a different perspective is the key. Expected to be recognized as superior, sometimes even without uh, achievements that warrant it. Um, exaggerate achievements and talents. This is a good one. Um, I, I have heard stories that are just amazing from narcissists where it is, you know, um, it, for me personally, a lot of them tend to revolve around sports, I guess, because there's not really a way to go back and check some of that at times where you find out that people just uh, claim to do some amazing things. This is not a story about a client, so I'm not going to feel too bad telling this one. But I remember this was over 20 years ago. And, and I had uh, you know, I tried to walk on and play a little bit of college baseball and, and got a little little tiny dose of that. So, uh, But I had a really nice uh, high school career. I feel like now I'm about to say, you should see my trophies, right? But my point is that I, I knew baseball. I did. I was a big baseball fan. And I was meeting with this person um, uh, they had, they had kind of stopped by the apartment shortly after the, my wife and I were married and, and <clears throat> they were just kind of checking up on us, um, for something. And, uh, the guy had said, I don't know, I think I maybe was wearing a baseball hat because I was trying to hide my early male pattern baldness at the time. There's something that's kind of ironic. I always just see the glare on my head, but, uh, I think he mentioned something about baseball and I was like, I love baseball. You know, I had a little, little taste of it in college and he, <laughs> and I'll never forget this. He's like, Oh, I was, you know, I was drafted and I'm like, Oh, wow. I'm, and I mean, I was still pretty young at this point, uh, just fresh out of college. And I, and I was like, wow, this guy, man, he, he tasted the big leagues. So I said, well, okay, what, you know, who'd you play for? And he's like, oh, you know, 
I got drafted, but he's like, I didn't play. You know, I just, I decided I didn't want to. First of all, I thought, okay, if you're the guy that has worked your whole life to get to even the opportunity to get drafted, you're not just going to be like, you know, I don't know. It doesn't sound like very much fun to me. Um, But then even better when I pressed him a little bit, he said that he was drafted by an American league baseball team and uh, he decided he wanted to play in the national league. So he just thought he'd take a pass. Right. Um, exaggerated achievements and talents. That person went on to also um, express to me that he had been a runway model and had been in some magazines, had never quite find him though. Said he had copies around the house, but never quite got to him. Um, Be preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, the beauty or the perfect mate. Um, Believe that they are superior and can only associate with equally special people. And this one I, I get to see oftentimes as well. It's funny sometimes... So here's the dilemma with a therapist at times. You're not going to get any work done with a narcissist unless you can really truly build rapport. So, you know, I can't tell you how many times you'll get a, somebody who will walk in and, and I feel like they're basically kind of sizing up the joint, sizing up the therapist to see if they are worthy of their time. And so I, I almost, you know, I kind of, I, I get frustrated with the fact that I find myself wanting desperately to connect with the narcissist because I want to help. Um, a lot of times I've been, you know, I'm doing couples therapy and, and again, I just, I want to help so bad that I find that, okay, I'm trying to beef things up too. You know, Hey, uh, you know, I've, I've run 200 ultra marathons or, you know, um, I own part of this or I did. And I feel like, okay, I'm getting caught up in that. You know, uh, I want to make sure that, you know, they will view me as someone who they can associate with because if not, then they're going to go home and tell their spouse, that guy's an idiot, right? He's a clown. He's not even worth our time. I, I, I know more than I, you know, he does. And that's a funny one too. I love, uh, I can think of one experience in particular where the person came in and they were, Hey, look, I've studied psychology. You know, I, I'm, I, I know, I know everything that you're going to tell me. And I wanted to be like, okay, so, you know, and here I'm going to sound like a narcissist to you right now, um, podcast listener, but then that's the part where I want to say, Hey, so, all right, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're just kind of discounting the, you know, couple of years, uh, getting the master's in counseling, the six months of a practicum site of, uh, you know, free therapy at a clinic, the 3000 hours of supervision and the constant trainings, but you've read a couple of psychology books. You kind of, so I guess we're on the same plane. Huh? Um, so it is funny. And, and recently I've even had somebody that I reached out to and I was working with their spouse and I said, Hey, I'd love to bring you in. And, you know, I'd, I really would love to hear your take on your spouse that I'm working with. And uh, that's part of my process. I let them know that. I've been doing this for a long time. And this person just was like, you know, uh, I know a lot about psychology and I really don't think that's necessary. And, and uh, boy, it was all I could do not to just respond back with the, uh, anyway, you know where I'm going with that. So they believe they're superior. Um, monopolize conversations and belittle or look down on people they perceive as inferior. A lot of kind of putting down, I hear from spouses a lot where, you know, man, I kind of feel like everywhere we go, this person's, you know, my spouse is putting someone down. And, and if you kind of think about that, you know, it's that classic or cliched, um, putting someone down, you know, in their mind elevates them to some higher status. Uh, they expect special favors, unquestioning compliance with their expectations. Uh, I see again, I, and I'm going back to I'll say, I keep relating this to therapy. Uh, I guess that's the whole purpose of this podcast, right? But I have a, a cool little clock off to bring over here at some point. Okay. Here's my ADD brain. Um, if you look back in the corner there, I've got a really cool 50 minute timer that my wife got me for Christmas that sits on the back. I have literally had people uh, email um, feedback when they watch the video of the podcast and say, why don't you do the timer? You know, so I'm, uh, I'm going to do that right now. Hang on. Okay. 
Okay, I'm back. So expecting special favors. Here's where my train of thought went, right? There's one of those skills I tried to teach in episode 26 on EFT, um, where my train of thought went right there was, um, I have had multiple narcissists in a conversation here. I've got this little timer that, that holds boundaries. It's a visual representation of a 50 minute hour. And I set that right on my counter and then clients know that, Hey, I respect boundaries so that, 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 that's so that we can get to the next client. Uh, I, I respect everyone's time. And I'll tell you, I feel like a narcissist will often almost see that, that timer, that clock go. And then at that point they will say, you know, they just want to keep com- you know, I, they want to keep talking. And, and I think it's because they, they expect you, well, I understand you do those boundaries for everybody else, but you know, what I'm telling you here is pretty important. So at times, you know, I, I, I find myself having to, um, hold those boundaries even more, which ironically, when I'm working with clients who may be in a relationship with a narcissist, um, that's a lot of what we're trying to do is get them to, to really hold those boundaries, hold boundaries that will kind of keep them feeling sane or keep them feeling safe. Um, and other characteristics or symptoms, take advantage of others to get what they want, um, have an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others. That's a huge one. Because again, if we go back to that, uh, that their rigid and unhealthy pattern of thinking, functioning and behaving, then it's, you know, that rigid, that rigidity of thought is basically this place of saying, there's no reason for me to think of what someone else is going through because I am correct. I mean, that's at the core. And, you know, again, another plug for episode 26, the EFT, that is the least productive thing that you can do in a relationship is to say, look, if I just hold my line, eventually my partner will understand that I am right. We have to double down on empathy and understand what our partner's experience is. Um, a couple more symptoms, be envious of others and, uh, and, um, and, uh, believe that others envy them. I think that one's kind of fun too. Um, behave in an arrogant or haughty manner coming across as conceited, boastful and pretentious and insist on having the best of everything, the best office, the best car, you know, the best, the best everything. Uh, and at the same time, um, narcissistic people, people with narcissistic personality disorder have trouble handling anything that they perceive as criticism. And that's where I start to see the work get difficult in therapy. I'm teaching, I'm preaching, I'm on my soapbox about EFT, about emotional bids, about being vulnerable and open, and then about turning toward your partner and, and going all in on awareness to understand what your partner's experience is. And, and that's where, you know, I'm, I, you know, if you listen to that episode, I'm saying turn off that part of your brain that is going into fixing in judgment mode and just listen to your partner. And I find that when I'm working with people that struggle with narcissistic personality disorder um, or even traits of narcissism, they cannot turn that part of their brain off because all they hear that is criticism and, and they are not willing to own their part or, or even respect the feelings or emotions of another because of this rigid thought process. So they become impatient or angry when they don't receive special treatment. Um, they can have significant interpersonal problems, feel easily slighted if someone isn't willing to put in this extra time or listen to them, uh, have difficulty regulating emotions and behaviors um, react with rage or contempt or try to belittle another person to make themselves feel, feel superior. And I feel like those two things go along pretty well too. If we kind of go back to, I think I did an episode on anger long ago and anger is a way to try to take control of a situation. So when somebody feels criticized, hurt, blamed, or not willing to kind of take a look at what their role was, if they lack this self-awareness, um, one of the quickest ways to try to gain control of a situation and uh, a conversation is to get mad, to get angry, to amp up. And I watch that here when I'm trying to do EFT work. Um, I feel like a partner that struggles with narcissistic personality disorder 
they, they even in my room will immediately try to take control of the room, take control of the situation. And that often is by, by raising their voice, you know, that sort of thing. And that's just not productive to the work we're trying to do in therapy. And a lot of times I have to do that. I've had situations in here where I've had people um, that I feel struggle with this that have just, you know, they've yelled, they've, they've told me I've had one where he walked out. I think maybe I've told this story, but um, you know, he was losing control of the situation because we were asking him to be vulnerable and listen to his wife. And, uh, you know, he stood up and he was going to leave the room and walk out. And it was one of the, one of the funniest things to me where, um, he tried to slam the door behind him. This was when I was working at a clinic, um, when I was still very, very new, very green. And as he walked out, he slammed the door behind him, but the door hit the back of his foot. So the door, he wanted it to make a big loud noise, but instead kind of hit his foot. And then it kind of made that sound like you're giving somebody a flat on the back of their shoe. And, uh, and then he still walked out and the door kind of hung there open. And I looked over at his wife and I just said, I don't think that's what he was planning on. And, uh, we kind of had a little bit of a chuckle there. Um, so, and I'll skip the rest of this part on the, cause it says when to see a doctor. Um, you know, most people with narcissistic personality disorder don't understand or recognize that this is a problem causes. This is, I mean, this is a little bit insightful. I think people have this question a lot. Uh, what causes it? It's not known what causes narcissistic personality disorder as with personality development and with other mental health disorders, the cause of narcissistic personality disorder is likely complex. That is an understatement. Uh, narcissistic personality disorder may be linked to environment, uh, mismatches in parent child relationships with either excessive adoration or excessive criticism that's poorly attuned to the child's experience Genetics, we feel like at some point we're going to learn that there are some inherited characteristics, I'm sure, involved here at some point. And then uh, this is the, kind of the, the burgeoning field of neurobiology, the connection between the brain and then behavior and thinking. So there's a lot of things that can go into this. And, you know, I was pretty convinced for a while there that it was just it was just, you know, born. It was just genetics and maybe the neurobiology. But when you really start to look at the environment, you can see patterns of narcissistic behavior that span generations and so there's some thought and i think maybe tina talks about it may on the podcast or, or it might even be in her book where we start to look at you know if if someone and who knows when it started who you know with the genesis of the first narcissist um but then if the narcissistic person has these rigid thought patterns and now they have a child who is trying to naturally from the factory be a little more expressive and they're told consistently that that's wrong and then they try to adapt their behavior to then, you know, be the person that their parent just ultimately thinks that they have to be. When meanwhile, the parent lacks complete self-awareness. Um, that's a recipe for then this person kind of then, you know, falling in line with this rigid thinking is that's the only way I'm going to get attention or, you know, from my, from my parents. So they kind of stick to that. Uh, risk factors. And, and here's, here's the, this one's on about everything I read. Narcissistic personality disorder affects more males than females, often begins in teens or early adulthood. And it says, keep in mind that although some children may show traits of narcissism, it might simply be typical of their age and doesn't mean they'll go on to develop narcissistic personality disorder. I think that's pretty important. Uh, prevention and get help um, as, as soon as possible. Participate in family therapy to learn healthy ways to communicate, attend parenting classes and seek guidance from therapists or social workers. Uh, I almost feel like at the end of this, uh, of this report, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, we're not really quite sure what to do. So we'll kind of plug in the, hey, go get help. We'll kind of put it at that. So there was a, a um, there's a book by a gentleman named Keith Campbell, W. Keith Campbell. Uh, he's a narcissism researcher. And I find that fascinating. Co-author of a book called The Narcissism Epidemic, Living in the Age of Entitlement. And he did an interview on Huffington Post. This was back in December. 
And uh, so I just wanted to hit, he, it's, you know, of course, from a clickbait angle, they say, I think it's like 18 signs of narcissism and you probably won't believe number or whatever, you know, however the clickbait things work. Um, but I just wanted to touch on a few of these. Um, and uh, Keith Campbell says, most people are, are sort of in the middle, though some are more extreme than others. And that's, and I pre- that's kind of what we were trying to allude to earlier. He says, people are on a continuum. There's a range of narcissism. And, and I do find that that's the case. Uh, and, and he talks about how sometimes the signs of narcissism are a little more nuanced. Um, they're not always as obvious as the media depictions would have you believe about this raging, you know, I am king of the world versus, you know, that kind of thing. It's not always that. And it is possible, uh, Keith Campbell says, again, narcissism researcher, it's possible to have some traits of narcissism without having full-blown clinically diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and, and I love the way in, in Tina's book, It's My Turn, she talks about an overt narcissist and a covert narcissist. The overt narcissist is the one that is loud and bold and out there and in your face. And the covert narcissist can actually, you know, I think can be a little more uh, a little more, uh, a little more of a struggle to identify, recognize, and work with because um, the the covert narcissist is the one that's, you know, kind of passive aggressively letting you know that oh, wow, I never really had that problem, um, and if you would just kind of listen to me, then you know you would you would be able to do these things better, and so it's just a lot of just you know. Um, being able to say that they, they were or are better than someone else and they don't understand what that person's really going through because they never had that problem, you know? Um, and so, and so that makes the person on the receiving end feel bad about themselves. And, uh, so let me go through a few of these. I'm not going to hit all of them. Um, let's see, uh, let me go to number three that he had. They can often be found in leadership roles. Uh, not that, uh, that makes them good leaders. There's a researcher named Gene Twing, co-author in the narcissism epidemic with Campbell, but narcissists often find themselves in leadership positions because people who are narcissistic want to be leaders. Uh, they don't necessarily make better leaders, but they want to do it. So they're more likely to end up in those positions. Um, I think that that's one of those things where, you know, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is, I just want to be a CEO, um, you know, that, that might be more of what kind of they're talking about being found in leadership roles. If your goal is I want to do the best job possible. And because of that, the fruits of my labor rise me through the ranks. And before I knew it, I was CEO. Um, you know, that's a little more of, uh, I'm sure that's kind of looking at this as that is not the, the narcissist. Um, this one's fascinating to me too. They always manage to make the conversations about themselves. You can start talking to a person about how you have cancer and pretty soon you're talking about their new car. Campbell explained. And man, I watch this in therapy a lot where if I say someone puts out an emotional bid and and then their partner, um, I'm encouraging their partner, hey, double down on empathy. Listen to what your partner's saying. This is your, this is your partner. This is your spouse. You care about them. You love about them. Uh, love about them. You love them. Um, and you want to know more about them. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here in marriage therapy. Listen, I can give that entire speech. The person will, you know, but, but then the narcissist is going to say, Right, right. No, I understand all that. But, you know, what they don't understand is I, I've, I've done this and I've done this. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, so it is. It's kind of making about them. I one of the greatest stories of this, I'm speaking with a friend of mine at one point. He was talking about a, a person that he had worked with that was a narcissist. And he said the guy would literally you know, get agitated and uncomfortable when the conversation would go you know, away from him until it, finally at one point he literally this person literally said, hey, can we get back to talking about me? And I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, 
they're guilty of name dropping. Uh, number six, he talks about not every story the narcissist tells is one of victory, but even the stories of tragedy or failure, there's an air of entitlement and victimization. Victimization. I wrote a little note in here myself where I feel like this is where some of the, the manipulative um, aspects of a narcissist come into play. So there are times where I feel like, you know, ulti- the, the, the narcissist ultimate goal is to kind of take control of a situation um, or prove that they are, again, amazing or, you know, that they, they are better than. So I have watched before when I feel like we have someone be vulnerable and then a narcissist recognizes, you know, if they say the right things, then their partner responds better. So if they say, you know, if the narcissist in therapy at times says, you know, wow, I've never really thought about that before. And I can really understand why that's hard for you. And you watch the partner just break down and weep because they haven't had this kind of a response an empathetic response before. And then, you know, we'll kind of think for a moment, Hey, here's a breakthrough. Um, but then, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe down the road, you learn that that particular um, conversation is brought up all the time by the narcissist saying, see, I'm doing the work. I'm doing better. But it's like, no, no, you, you did one thing. You found one way to make it look like you are trying and now you are kind of manipulating that story. Um, and, uh, instead of continuing to do the work, um, these authors say narcissists will often tell stories about themselves, sometimes repeating the same story over and over again. And many times the story will be about an instance of personal heroism or an exploit, but even when a story is of something negative, uh, that happened, it'll never be the narcissist's fault. That's the thing where I, you know, again, back to this world of EFT, when I'm trying to do couples therapy, and someone is a narcissist, you know, sometimes I am just trying to set the table to, to, to kind of, you know, a, a spouse, the non-narcissistic spouse, all they want to hear is that the narcissist understands at some point that, wow, you know, I can understand why you would feel that way. My behavior wasn't, wasn't good. But that part, I feel like, you know, the narcissist really struggles with ever getting to that point because it's like, but it wasn't their fault because of something else, something that their partner did. Look, I didn't want, I mean, I'm taking the, you know, taking the role of the narcissist now when I've heard these kind of situations where it's, Hey, look, I didn't want to, to have an affair, but honestly, the way you were treating me, I mean, you know, and where that, that is so counterproductive. That is when, you know, when I have someone say, man, I can understand why that hurt. And, and I've never really looked at your view or your situation or knew the things that you were going through. Um, yeah, I got to own that, right? You don't hear that from the narcissist. Uh, and that's one of the problems. Um, let me skip through a little bit. This one is going a little long. Uh, number 10, they are strongly averse to criticism. Well, no one can honestly say they like receiving criticism. Um, people with narcissism are hypersensitive to it. Um, it, you know, I, I hear this all the time of it's the, you know, you'll hear this, uh, no, you don't get it. You know, if, if you're criticizing the narcissist, they're like, you don't understand, you know, um, it's like, again, they go back to this rigid, grandiose sense of thought where they just are saying, you know, if you understood my situation, you would understand that I am the victim. I own nothing in this situation. And, uh, because they, you know, they are just, it is like criticism is it fair to say that's their kryptonite. They're going to push it away with their, with all they can. And this, I put two stars beside this next point. Um, excuses are a narcissist's best friend. Narcissists tend to externalize blame. That's key. Um, pinning the blame on everyone but themselves. You know, that's the part where I don't know if you'll ever hear the narcissist say, my bad. You know, it's just, it's always like, even, and again, I watch it, you know, I watch them in couples therapy where it's like, they're like, okay, I totally hear her and what she is saying, but 
it's not my fault. You know, it was this or this or, and I know that it would be easy for me to say that it's my problem, but it's not. That's the, you guys have to understand. And as they become passionate. And I think that's the part where, you know, I, I, that's where I start to kind of sit back and just kind of take this more of a flat affect and just listening because, you know, I feel like a narcissist is so good over the, over time. That's been how they have survived is if they sell this story enough, that eventually people go, okay, fine, maybe you're right. And this isn't even on here, but I want to bring that up. And I think that uh, Tina and I talked about this again back in episode four, but that term gaslighting, uh, gaslighting breaks my heart. Gaslighting is where um, if someone brings up an emotional bid, you know, if they say, you know, man, I I just like, I got to be honest, you know, I feel like you don't spend enough time with, you know, enough time with me. If I have a spouse say that, by the time that conversation's done, the spouse who asked that is now feeling bad. They're feeling like they're crazy because the narcissistic partner is going to turn that into, you know, you don't think I don't want to, you know, but with your spending habits, the amount of time I have to be at work. I mean, I really can't even believe you're saying that because it, it obviously is clear that you have no idea how hard I work for this family or do you even realize, you know, the things that I'm going through and it's like, see, they just turned it to them. So now the person that put that emotional bid out, the spouse that said, you know, I wish I feel like I would like to spend more time with you. Now they feel bad about themselves, which again, that is the opposite thing I'm trying to do in couples therapy. That's the opposite thing of EFT, which is the evidence-based modality that helps couples get better. I want somebody to be able to say, I, I miss you. I feel like we don't spend enough time together. And then their partner to look at them and say, okay, you know, give me everything that you're thinking about right now, you know, tell me about what that's like for you. And then acknowledging that and going, wow, okay, I can understand that. And then even in a healthy way, be able to respond with, because here's where I was coming from. I I felt like, you know, I I felt like you were, um, you wanted me to be away from the house, or I felt like, you know, the work I was doing was ultimately, you know, our goal, or I felt like we were connected or, and so then we can have growth. But when it's turned around this phrase gaslighting, when the person who's putting out the emotional bid, by the time they're done, when they feel like the idiot, um, that's narcissistic personality disorder. That's narcissistic behavior. And it breaks my heart. I mean, you know, I, I have so many examples that I'm in my head right now that I'm, that I'm trying to quickly, you know, change up because I don't want to, to, to kind of say anything with the, around any of the couples I'm working with now, but where people will say, you know, I just want to do this, you know, some hobby, some thing, some career, some dream or hope. And then that has turned against them to kind of say, I, I can't believe you're saying that. Like, you know, and then, you know, do you know what that's like for me to hear that? That tells me you don't respect me or you don't whatever. And then the person's like, man, I shouldn't have said a thing, you know? And so the person starts to withdraw. They start to lose their sense of self. And again, back to that breaks my heart. Um, kind of the, the, the cliched way to talk about gaslighting is, you know, if I say, hey, the sky's blue today, isn't it? And the narcissist can be like, you know, like, seriously, I mean, that's, that's blue to you, you know, and, and by the time you're done, you're finally like, uh, okay, I guess I really never really knew what blue was. I mean, I guess it's purple. And I don't know, I give up. You're right. It's purple. You know, and the narcissist is like, yeah, you know, that's all right. They, 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 they get my point. They see what I'm talking about. Um, so that was a, yeah, narcissist, uh, excuses or a narcissist best friend 12. They leave a trail of wreckage behind them, you know, for the sake of time. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, although it does, you know, I, I do want to talk about this Campbell. This is that author Campbell says, um, does this person have a history of bad relationships and work experience? Consider that a red flag with narcissist CEOs. For instance, you'll see that they have gone into companies, kind of wrecked them and moved on to something else. Um, Campbell explains in relationships, they may have infidelity, which destroys that relationship. And then they'll often move on to another one. 
Um, because again, they have that rigid thinking, that lack of empathy or compassion, that lack of self-awareness. And so, and then that lack of accountability. So if it was an affair, then it well, not my fault, you know, something that, that she did. Um, and then, and in Campbell's work, he says in that vein, they may be more likely to cheat, but that's because they put the narcissist won't put the feelings of the partner above his or, or, uh, or her own. So, um, Okay. Uh, a couple more. Everything is personal, particular, particularly in quieter narcissists. They, there may not be signs of overt self-reference and promotion, but there's a defensiveness and a reactive anger if they're not recognized or if they can't get it their way. Um, I put a little star by this one. If you do something to the narcissist that they don't like, it means you're against them or you don't understand them. Uh, it's not a, hey, you know, I, I may have done something wrong. It's like you have now attacked him. You know, that you you have now just clearly you know, drawing your line in the sand against that narcissist. So uh, the narcissist feels like you are against him if you, uh, if you do something that they don't like. And here we go. Number 15, a narcissistic person probably has no idea that he or she is a narcissist. It says, and I love the way that uh, the Kirzan, the other author, talked about this. Narcissism in itself is sort of a double whammy. Not just because you have disturbances or belief that you're special in some way more than others, but because those things in themselves will prevent you from seeing that you have these problems. Uh, and the more shy narcissists who may also gain experience symptoms of depression or anxiety, those other things may spur them to get professional help. So if, you know, an, a, an, uh, what, a covert narcissist may go get help for depression and you might find some narcissistic traits there that are stopping them from getting help. But this over the grandiose people, because they feel superior, because they may even have initial success, they are very unlikely to seek treatment, he explains. It would only be after they develop so many problems where they ask themselves, I feel so great. I know I'm awesome. Why did everybody leave me? I love that, that quote from, uh, uh, from this author, <laughs> Blank Campbell, right? Um, I feel so great. I know I'm awesome. Why in the heck did everybody leave me? That, you know, that's, that's maybe the other version of when you're going to see somebody. Uh, number 16, you find yourself resorting to flattery just to maintain the peace with the narcissist. Um, and it says, while the best way to deal with the narcissist, and this is according to that, the, the book from Campbell, I uh, know this is Twinge, the co-author. While the best way to deal with a narcissist is just to cut the cord and run, there are certain circumstances where you have no choice but to deal, Twinge says. Maybe the best narcissist is a family member, or maybe it's your boss. In these cases, flattery is the best way to avoid conflict. And, and again, I know I've used that phrase, breaks my heart, but now, you know, sure, at work, it's learning to play the game, you know. Um, but when you're working with an individual, it, you, are, you are learning, you're trying to teach boundaries, you're trying to teach them not to engage in, in those toxic conversations that are just going to end up being used against them because that's the part that lowers the, the, the spouse's self-esteem. And, uh, and here we go. The, this one ends as well, that men are more likely to be narcissists than women. Um, it says that, and the level of narcissism is higher among today's millennials than previous generations at similar ages, twinge ads. So kind of interesting there, right? I think that, and I wondered if that was kind of the underlying theme that a lot of people were hearing as we talked about this was those darn millennials, right? The sense of entitlement. Uh, a little bit different that, you know, but if we look at that range, um, uh, just want to do that. If that range, um, like the continuum, the spectrum of narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder, as Campbell talked about in that book, uh, then you can, yeah, sure. Maybe the millennials are trending more towards some narcissistic traits. Um, but so, uh, but, uh, you know, overall we're kind of looking at that. If you think you are a narcissist, 
then you are not. If you are, if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, um, please seek help, uh, even just for yourself to be able to understand that you are not crazy. Um, long-term exposure to narcissism, and I'm kind of making this up on the fly, may be detrimental to your health because you start to question yourself. Uh, when I work with people who are in relationships with narcissists, I, I beg them to double down on self-care. Go back and listen to my podcast about emotional baseline because you have to get your own emotional baseline up to a place where then you can um, be the best you you can be for your kids or your job or your family or that sort of thing. And, and, you'll, and, and you have to have your baseline of emotions high enough that you will not continually engage in these, again, toxic conversations that, that will uh, leave you feeling like the crazy one or bad or that sort of thing. Go seek help, please. Um, even just to talk to a professional and throw it out there. If you feel like your spouse, if you feel like your spouse might um, suffer from narcissistic personality disorder, you can say whatever you want in therapy, you know, and, and you can sort that out. You can, you can look through this, listen to this podcast, uh, tell your therapist to listen to this podcast and say, man, I hear a lot of these things. I'm wondering about that. Um, but do the research. I, I do find a lot of people that aren't, aren't even familiar. It's funny in my world, I deal with somebody with narcissism every day um, in, in, on my couch at some point. Uh, or some days multiple people. And so I, I live in this world of personality disorders. But then at times when I get a, a person who comes in and they may have been married, you know, a couple of years, they might've been married 20 years to a narcissist and never even were really aware that that was a thing. They just started to feel like over time that they were crazy, you know, and, and, but that's not the, it's not a healthy relationship. Oftentimes people said, man, I wanted, I dreamed of this one type of this particular relationship and uh, one where we where we were friends and we laughed together and we shared experiences and and instead I feel like anytime I bring something up I'm made to feel dumb and I you know and it's all about him and you know those sort of things and uh, that's that's not I mean I get to I'm gonna I'm gonna throw down my card as uh, I get to play normal police a little bit here that's not normal that's not the relationship that we want it's not the relationship you deserve so please seek help okay I'm rambling now. But thank you for sticking with me on this journey. It probably went longer than I think. Um, you can see the sand and the glass there so going down significantly. Um, but I'm, I'm passionate about this. I want people to be their best selves. I do feel like if in the right situation or circumstances, the narcissist can get help too. Again, I, I know I call them unicorns, but, uh, but I've seen some unicorns and, and there can be some work there. But uh, boy, they have to buy into the work. They have to see that. They have to see that they may lose their family or jobs or that sort of thing because of that behavior. And then uh, hopefully they can build some good rapport with the therapist and they can say, fine, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, maybe they, maybe I am a narcissist. What do I do with that? And, uh, and then we can kind of let some of the work begin. Um, thank you for taking the time. Again, if you, if you have been, if you are a woman who has uh, feel like you have been through any form of betrayal trauma, please go to bloomforwomen.com and use that coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, and just take a look. Get, get a 30-day free trial with access to their site. They have amazing things there. Um, I just finished this betrayal trauma recovery training. And my goodness, you know, there is so much good uh, empirical, scientific, evidence-based data to help people that have been through traumatic relationships or been through betrayal trauma. So please seek help for that. 
pass the word about that. Bloomforwomen.com. Use the coupon code virtualcouch. Get a month free access to that site and uh, start start experiencing some hope. Um, and uh, if you and again, if you're involved in some in someone with a narcissistic personality disorder, um, go to couples that therapy. Uh, sometimes again, I hope that that's what you're hearing here. You have to set some good boundaries and do this for you, for your kids, for your relationship, for your emotional, mental health. Um, and then go back and listen to that emotional baseline podcast and double down on self-care. All right. Thank you for your time. And uh, as per usual, um, yeah, I'm going to take us out with the wonderful uh, Aurora Florence and the song, It's Wonderful. I will see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter Heels and hearts you broke